That's true. I'm his mom. I'm also your host for the Auto Parent Podcast. My name is Reverend Casey Vanatta Casebeer. I am an associate pastor and director of family ministries at Foundry United Methodist Church in Washington, D.C., and I'm a mom. Y'all, whatever we need this podcast to be, whether it's a space for solidarity or hope, to receive permission to tell guilt and shame to kick rocks, whatever we need for this parenting journey, I pray we find it here together. So come on, let's pray toward it and let's do it. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Auto Parent Podcast, episode 17, which we're calling my favorite number because I literally have it tattooed on my finger. Fun fact, uh, my partner Greg and I got married on the 17th of December, and so we both have 17 ring finger tattoos. But as a former and current youth pastor, what I typically do is I, uh, when youth ask me what this means, I tell them it's how many youth I've disposed of. Oh, yes. <laughs> and they okay. don't need to make it 18. <laughs> so, oh, right. Yes. Check yourself. Exactly. Or you're number 18. <laughs> Well, I'm your host, Pastor KC, and y'all know me. So let's get to our special guest for this episode, which you're already hearing her, and I'm so excited about. Our special guest is Reverend Mary Kate Myers, and she is a senior pastor at Bethesda Wesley Chapel UMC um, in the Tennessee Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. And she is a mom to foster. So welcome to the pod. I'm so glad you're here. Um, Is there anything else you want to tell us about yourself? Um, thanks so much for having me. First of all, I'm super excited to be here. The only other important thing that you know about me is that I absolutely love dinosaurs. Like I have quite the obsession with them. It's probably not healthy, but if there was something that I was to share with all of your viewers, it would be that they need to know that dinosaurs are rad and yeah. Okay. So I have a favorite dinosaur and I need to know what your favorite dinosaur is. Oh my gosh. It's so hard to say. I would probably say like a brontosaurus, one of the long neck leaf eater guys. Those are also, I think there's like another kind. It's called like the apotosaurus. I think (gasps) they're very similar to one another. So yeah, both of those long neck fellows are probably my favorite. What about you, ma'am? Well, okay. So my favorite dinosaur is like the true Don. True Don. Remind me what he looks like. So roughly. The true Don is like, you know, a typical dinosaur kind of looking like a raptor type thing, but it has sure. like hella feathers on it. <gasps> yes, I know yes. what we're talking about. It's like the most whimsical dinosaur in the I'm whole world. To, right. I'm starting to say he sounds pretty majestic. Yeah, definitely. So amazing. I love that you love dinosaurs. We uh, have some dinosaur fans over here in this house as well. I, when I was younger and, and grew up, you know, fairly conservative evangelical Christian did a PowerPoint presentation on how I didn't think dinosaurs were real. (laughs) No. Yes. And I was, (laughs) I was talking about it the other day because uh, one of the theologians that I follow on Twitter was like, how many of you, like when you were younger, didn't believe in dinosaurs? And I was like, oh my God. Like if I could find this PowerPoint. (laughs) So yeah, uh, evangelical scars are real. (laughs) Okay, well, speaking of which, um, let's just roll right into our special guest questions. The first one of which is, what is your biggest pet peeve? So my biggest pet peeve is definitely condescension. When people talk in condescending tones, particularly when it's men speaking to women in condescending tones. I'm not a big fan of that. So yeah, that's probably my biggest one. What about you? Well, okay. So like mansplaining, like that's a little Mm -hmm. bit a part of it. Yeah, for sure. No, I hear that. Condescension is just no fun. It's just no, No. 
it's no fun. Like I have this saying recently that I've just been saying, <laughs> I've just been saying to people like, just stop ruining it for everybody. Like ultimately hey, yeah. that's what the gospel is, right? Just quit ruining Ooh, it for everybody. Quit ruining it for everybody. <laughs> preach, preach. Right? Yeah. So, okay. So I uh, don't often share a pet peeve on the podcast because everybody's used to me complaining about everything, but um, <laughs> I am going to share one today yes, because please. I am real irritated. Tell me real about irritated. it. So this whole like, this whole like sparkling water, seltzer water, like this whole trend of like LaCroix and <laughs> what, I mean, is that how you say it? LaCroix, whatever. However you say that You're crap. You're asking the wrong girl. Yes. <laughs> They're like, everybody is on this train now. And I saw a meme one time that was like, nobody really likes LaCroix. Like it really is like you're, it's like you're drinking ter- something terrible and somebody shouts a fruit from the next room. Like that's what it tastes like. <laughs> it is It is horrible garbage juice and it tastes like it's been put through a shoe first and I'm just like so mm. irritated and it's not for lack of trying it, obviously. Like I, I enjoy like Pellegrino, but like the kind that has actual juice in it because it tastes sure. like, like real things. But they right. made this new like Pellegrino seltzer situation. And it's like always like these really ornate flavors like tangerine and pomegranate. It doesn't taste like anything. It tastes like nothing. Mm. You are putting a flavor in my head because I read it, but it tastes (laughs) like- it really doesn't taste like anything. (laughs) No. I like the term garbage juice quite a lot. (laughs) I think I may be starting to use that on the reg about, I don't know, not even just about liquids, but maybe about people in situations as well. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. You're so welcome. So anyway, I know there are, I'm probably alienating more than 50% of our listening base by this uh, comment, but it's my pet peeve, you know? Anyway, so I went to buy some Pellegrino the other day and I was like, oh, they have this new Pellegrino that's like got all these different flavors. No, it was seltzer Pellegrino and it's, oh no, it's terrible. I know I'm so, it's garbage juice. It's garbage juice. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. So now that we're through that moment, because I'm getting hot. (laughs) Hot (laughs) and bothered by this (laughs) seltzer water. Not in a good way. No, not in a good way. Okay. So let's think about laughter because that makes me feel better. So, what is like a time in your life where you've laughed really, really hard? Right. So I was thinking about this, this question and I am a person who does not just like laugh out loud a whole lot. But when I do, I'm usually with my younger sister, Blair, she's just freaking hysterical to me in a way that pretty much no one else is. And so it got me to thinking about, uh, I believe it was Thanksgiving, 2016. We go to my grandmother's house where all of our very mature, you know, older relatives are. And she and I are in the den off by ourselves looking at Snapchat um, Mm -hmm. as grown people do, you know, mature (laughs) people ourselves. And they had, for whatever reason, do you remember Hollister? Yeah. From back in the day, for whatever reason, Hollister had sponsored a filter that was a corn cob and a turkey leg. And so when we put ourselves in the frame, my sister turned into an ear of corn and I turned into a turkey leg. And I don't know why, (laughs) but we literally could not breathe because we were laughing so hard. Meanwhile, like people are having, you know, appetizers (laughs) and being, you know, having adult conversation. And we are literally the 20 somethings in the corner laughing at Snapchat filters. And so it's one of those things where I think even if you were there, you'd probably been like, what are y'all, right. what, what's so funny about that? But still to this day, like she sent me a picture. I meant to send it to you before we got started. So you would have some context for, oh, yes. for this, but yeah, like those Snapchat filters, they also had one this past Thanksgiving, which was a whole Turkey that appeared on your face. <laughs> um, Snapchat is not something that I do, but it's something that she uses. She works with kids. And so she, that's a way for them to communicate with her. And so she still has it on her phone. And I was like, Blair, do they, have any like fun Thanksgiving filters this year and sure enough a whole friggin turkey disappeared <laughs> on her head and it just shows your eyes and your mouth it's like terrifying but also hysterical so yeah. yes snapchat filters have have caused some pretty big laughs for me but what about you oh my gosh it's so funny 
I like, and I always say this too, I didn't even say it this time, but like the best part of it is that like, it doesn't even have to be a good story. And even if you're there, like it's one of those things that like is deeply personal and nobody can explain like why it was so funny. Right. Um, In the same vein, I will say that one time (laughs) I was alone. I was alone. This is, this makes it even more sad. I was alone and upstairs in the boys room. This is when we still lived in Tennessee and I, they had that, you remember the face swap filter? I'm sure they still have it. I I was like, okay, I'm going to try to see if I get my face to like swap onto one of Cash's toys. (laughs) Oh no, Casey. So I swapped me and Woody's face from Toy Story. <laughs> no. It was so oh, like, I don't, creepy. I started to say, like, were you just terrified afterwards? <laughs> like, what awful. have I done? I'm crying. It was awful, but it was so funny. <laughs> and it just makes it worse that I was, like, alone in my kid's room swapping my face <laughs> with his toys. You needed something to do. I get you. I oh, get you. gosh, man. That is, yeah, I'm going to need you to find that photo and send it after this is over. Cause yeah, I'll find that when I you would, find yours. We'll share it on the auto yes. Instagram and Twitter. Oh, there you go. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure your listeners will be so glad we they did. Will be. <laughs> they will be. Okay. Awesome. Well, those were our special guest questions and obviously they delivered. So I'm super happy about that. We are going to do a new bonus segment. And you're the first guest that gets to do this segment. I'm so excited about it. All right. This segment is called Crazy Shit My Kid Did This Week. (laughs) (laughs) And we're just going to alternate. And then we'll just let the listeners decide, like, you know, which is worse. (laughs) There you go. Sounds like a good plan to me. First up, my three-year-old, whose name is Riggins, um, has this obsession with suckers, like okay, full on obsession. Like he will take sometimes like seven or eight suckers out of the bag, open them up, turn them into like one mega sucker and just like run around with it. Like he's obsessed with suckers. And obviously he does that when I'm not like able to pay attention or when somebody's not, you know, whatever. So anyway, the other day, this was yesterday. Oh my gosh. Yesterday I moved to the couch and I, when I moved the couch, I saw a line of seven suckers that were stuck to the wall. This child, this child took seven suckers, took one lick of each one, stuck it on the wall behind the couch. Yes. (laughs) And I tried to remove them and you cannot remove them without removing the paint on the wall. Sure. And we Uh live in an apartment. And I was just like, oh my God, I regret now that I didn't take a picture of it because I totally should have, because it looked like a booby trap, like a kid booby trap. (laughs) I believe it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He was probably, he probably felt so, can you think about like how proud he must've felt of himself? Like mom and dad are never going to find these Never. I can just enjoy them and stick those (laughs) literal suckers to the wall and they'll never know. It's going to be fine. Oh. And then mom's just doing the whole vacuum thing and like, what in the... Yep. Okay. Yep. There it is. <laughs> there it is. All right. What do you have? So um, the thing that comes to mind recently, so I don't pick foster my son up from school very often. It's normally my husband, Bo, who does. But the past couple of times that I've like picked him up or taken him to school, one of the kids from his class will also be either like going in at the same time or leaving at the same time. And the kid is excitedly talking to whoever his grown up is about seeing Foster. Like, oh, look, it's another kid in my class. My kid does not even look in their general direction (laughs) as they're like talking about them excitedly. Like he's just like staring off in the distance or like talking 90 to nothing about like absolutely who the heck knows. I don't know. But you know us like we're we're born and raised in Tennessee. There's a certain like politeness aspect Uh there that you're trying to uphold. And I'm like, 
child of mine. Like, just say hello. <laughs> just wave. I think I literally picked up his hand and waved it at one of the kids because he was just acting like he wasn't there. And I was like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. I swear I'm not raising a mean kid. I think he's just like a little ditzy, okay? Like, we love you. Thank you for acting like you care that he's here. We care you're here too. Oh my God. So it's like an embarrassing and also like, I feel like they should let me in there and let me see how he is with the other kids. Cause is this, is this what we're dealing with all the time? Like, are you right. just like standing off in a corner, not talking to anyone? This is slightly concerning. And also don't be a jerk kid. I will, <laughs> we, we will not allow it. It's just not going to happen. So um, hopefully we got to work on his social skills, obviously <laughs> uh, get him a little bit more checked in, but yeah, I was just like, who are you right now? Cause he's so like, he talks constantly. He's usually, as far as I know, super friendly and like has a good time with other kids. And then just to watch him like straight up ignore two different kids on two different days. I was just like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Like, am I raising a psychopath? I kind of need to know. <laughs> so hopefully that's a, not the case. I have a real affinity for psychopaths. So the oh, listeners thank you. know So you'll love him if yeah. no one else does. I appreciate that. <laughs> as you were talking to, I was thinking about the other side of this pandemic and what it's mm. going to be like for our kids, especially the right. ones who haven't been, you know, like Cash hasn't been in school at all. Um, oh, and right. So the only socialization he's been able to get is with his brother. Um, mm. So it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be really strange as kids you know, socially try to navigate, let alone like all of the, the school stuff and that kind of the educational aspects of it, but like the right. social aspects are going to be just as difficult. Um, Absolutely. Readjusting. I also think us adults are going to have some real problems with that too. <laughs> oh I'm my gosh. Honest. We probably haven't, you probably haven't seen it yet, but I shared to my Instagram stories, a compilation that someone put together and like it's titled um, when adults start having person-to-person -person interaction again, and it's like clips from the eight, maybe 70s, late 70s, early 80s of these guys with like mullets and crazy facial <laughs> hair. And it's like clips of them for like a dating show. And they're oh, talking no. about things like, I like cats and like other random <laughs> stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, it probably will be like that. We're not going to yeah. know what to say to each other and just be completely awkward. But it's fine. We'll all be so glad to just like be in the same space. It won't really matter. That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, so the next crazy uh, thing that my kids, plural, did this week, what actually happened today. Um, so <laughs> I mentioned to you before we started recording that we had a flat tire today. So we right. had a flat tire today. I, it also is time to renew um, my son's uh, EpiPen. So my son Riggins has a peanut allergy. Foster also has a nut allergy. Um, so you're well aware, like it's time for him to get some new allergy tests and to do the whole thing over again. So mm. I'm on the phone with the tow truck. Um, at one point I'm on the phone with an allergist at the next point, And then I got another phone call from, uh, one of my doctors rescheduling an appointment. So I had a series of three phone calls in the span of these three phone calls. Both of my kids managed to get every colander or sieve or strainer that they could find in our cupboard, which I'll admit is like more than we probably should have. <laughs> like, okay. I don't, I don't know how we've managed to like just compile like, I don't know, dozens of colanders, but we really do have six, I swear. I don't know what, I don't oh know what has happened. So they've, and I'm looking at one right now on the floor. So they go and get these colanders and they bring them into the living room and they're just like, you know, playing with them or whatever. Then they decide to go get their bike helmets and put those on. So they did that. And then they proceeded to follow me around the house saying, well, well, look what we have here. And then throwing the colanders at me. While I'm on the phone, <laughs> while I'm on the phone and their objective was to get the colander over my head because they were going to send me to colander jail. So this is what happened. <laughs> three phone calls, three consecutive phone calls of this, of me just running around oh. the apartment while being chased by two crazy, <laughs> crazy kids in bike helmets, throwing colanders at me saying, well, oh well, God. look what we have here. <laughs> Sort of be like, like, where did you get that? You know, like the colander, sure, but like, well, well, what do we? Who taught you that? What is going on here? 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is so funny. And I can just, I can totally imagine you like making laps and going in and out, just being like, I'm so, yep. What did you say? Right. At one point, at one point I was in the guest bathtub, like hiding behind the. (laughs) Yes. You had run out of places to go and you just had to hunker down. I get it. But at mom, like, think about how creative they are. They're finding ways to uh, entertain themselves. Very creative. That's one way of looking at it. Yeah. I'm just glad I don't do the dishes. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Have have fun with that, Dad. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So do you have one more to share with us? I do have one more. So Foster is on a kick right now where he refers to himself as Lightning McQueen. Um, Other parents listening to this podcast may be familiar with Disney Pixar cars, main character, Lightning McQueen. And it has gotten to the point where sometimes if we call him by his name, he will not answer or corrects us to call him Lightning McQueen before we can carry on with what we're saying. So one of the things, uh, part of our life together as a family and something that kind of goes along with the, you know, the food allergies that you mentioned earlier, Foster is part of what they call feeding therapy. So there's a a therapist that we meet with once a week that basically is teaching him to eat foods that he should have learned how to eat a long time ago, but because of complications with the allergies, it just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, We've, you know, it's been such a, such a helpful and hopeful thing for us to get to experience as a family, but we were on vacation last week. So we did our appointment via telehealth. And that's one of those things where, as you can imagine with a three-year-old, a telehealth appointment is either going to go like, great, we're going to get through what we need to get through, or it's just going to go down the crapper really quick. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he started out really well. And then we got to something that he didn't want to do. And we kept trying to redirect him and refocus him. And we were calling him Foster. And he would just keep saying, I'm Lightning McQueen. I'm Lightning (laughs) McQueen. And like just everything. We're trying to like bring him back and just over and over again. And I was at the point that like I could feel my blood boiling. Our appointments are like super early in the morning. I'm not a morning person, especially if I haven't had coffee. Like you just don't want to be around me. It's not a good look or a good time for anyone. And I was like, oh my God, I'm getting ready to have to like exit this telehealth appointment and just leave Bo and Foster here to do it because I'm about to scream if he tells yeah. me he's Lightning McQueen one more time. So that's the new thing. I have He's back at daycare for the first time since we got back and I just have no idea what his teachers are having to deal with today. Um, <laughs> been, been thinking about them and praying for them all morning. So hopefully... Hopefully he's not driven them absolutely nuts, but I just don't know like where they get these things in their heads and just run with them just to make us absolutely nuts. You know, it's like a, it's like a spiritual gift that the Bible doesn't talk about. Oh yeah. A 100%. So this has been a brand new segment called crazy shit. My kid did this week. Um, and I'm so glad we got to do it together. That was fun. All right. It's time for our next segment, which we call parenting fails, confessions and wins or FCW. I'm very excited because first up we have a parenting fail. That's one that just, is what it is. And it kind of is like a parenting fail and a confession, both in one. Um, But this week, as I mentioned, the whole colander fiasco, that was one thing. (laughs) My six-year-old Cash has started saying, I don't care. Um, And he says that because sometimes he'll say like, I really need to do this or whatever. And in the heat of the moment, I'll be real irritated and I'll say, I don't care. (laughs) So he's just repeating what I'm saying. Um, Sure. But the other day I said to him, I really need you to do this thing. And I think it was related to school. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I said, okay, well then I'm going to take your device and also like, you know, we'll just we won't do anything until you do this piece of work. So we're not going to go outside. We're not going to whatever. And he said, I don't care. And (laughs) I yelled at him (laughs) so Mm -hmm. loud. I was already irritated. It was like the middle of the afternoon. The witching hour for kids starts like five 30. It's like horrible. I'm like, Right. Oh, just that time. Don't ever leave me alone with these kids because who knows what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, exactly. Exactly. So it was right around that time. And I just, I mean, I yelled at him so loud. And I think I said something like, I'm going to make you care. <laughs> 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 
whatever that means is like, okay, try. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Means nothing. But he has since come back to me like multiple times saying, mommy, you yelled at me really loud. Can we please talk about it? Like it, it really hurt my feelings. Like it's been real, you know, it's been something that he's, cause it's not something I do. Like, it's just not something I do. And I had just hit wit's end, especially with him because he's just, I don't know, like on the other side of the full moon, if like, you know, things are rising or something's falling or something astrological is happening, but it's nuts. It's nuts right now. It's just in a phase of that. So anyway, it makes me feel a little bit bad. And also my confession is that it, it was justified. It was a little bit like, "Eh, well, right. (laughs) I thought you were going to say, and I don't care. And I was like, yes, that can be your confession. Absolutely. (laughs) Support that 110. Yeah. Okay, well, there's mine. So that's a little bit of an example. Do you have a parenting fail to share with us? Yes. So um, I've got kind of like a funny and a serious parenting fail. So it's it's interesting that what you shared was the I don't care thing because the funny one for me is that's enough. Like that, like if he is really just out of his head, I've tried to like talk to him and reason with him and he's just not hearing me, I will say that's enough. So I don't know what happened last night when we got home from visiting family in Louisiana, but it's like everything we said, everything we tried to do was that's enough, like out of his mouth. That's enough. That's enough. That's (laughs) enough. And I'm like in the kitchen trying to put things away and wash things. And I was like, I am this close to losing my mind on this kid. But thank God for like therapy and meds because, you know, (laughs) that kind of, right. And that just kind of helps me like, okay. This is not the end of the world. He's out there with his dad. If his dad is so bothered by it, then he can handle it. I'm in my own space. Um, And that makes me think about my serious parenting fail and one that like I am still coming to terms with. But um, like I was I struggled very much like so many moms do with postpartum depression after Mm -hmm. Foster was born. And it was one of those things where because of the stigma surrounding it, because of my own issues with pridefulness, the whole thing, I was just like, I don't need help. I've got this, you know, everything's fine. Um, And it probably took me a solid like three months to get help when I like looking back, I can tell that I needed it pretty immediately after he was born. Um, And I know that like, I wasn't able to be a good mom to him then um, Mm -hmm. just because I was so messed up. And so there are times now, like, I'm like you, like, we don't yell at them, like, Mm -hmm. unless we've hit our, like, (laughs) you know, patience point. And then it's just like, blah. Um, But, and, you know, I think just thinking back on like how before the help of like other supportive moms and therapy and medicine, like that was an all the time thing for me. And he was like a brand new baby. And so I still like carry some guilt about that. And then like, I'm just thinking about the fact that Cash felt like he could come back to you and say, mom, that hurt my feet. Honey, that's a parenting win. Okay. <laughs> that's right. That he that's could, right. At, like at six years old, is that what you said? Yeah. He's six. Yeah. That he can come back to you and, and tell you, in like in a very understandable, mature way, like mom, that hurt my feelings. Can we talk about it? I'm like, oh my God, like what six-year-old <laughs> does that? Okay. So like, yeah, that's, I think that goes to show that like, even in the midst of like our fails or things that we think that, you know, we've made mistakes about. And of course we do, we're parents, we're not perfect. Um, but I think as long as we try to love the heck out of our kids and tell them that like, they're safe with us and that, you know, we see them as, you know, little people that we can, can talk to and help. And, you know, we can have conversations. Like, I just can't help but think how much you've already set cash up for success, like communication wise, emotions wise, you know, we know with boys, they're taught, like, don't feel like suppress all that. Mm -hmm. Don't talk about stuff. And for him to already have that, feel like he has that agency and that vocabulary to be like, I want to talk about this. You know, my feelings are hurt. I think, I think that's incredible. And I think that's something that I try to aspire to do with foster as well is like, just have that open line of communication and, you know, normalize telling them, you know, I'm sorry, even though I still haven't figured out how to like help him understand what sorry means. Like I try, but I'm like, (laughs) you're three and I know you should be sorry for this. And I'm trying to explain to you why, but I don't know that you're actually like (laughs) receiving this. It's fine. 
we'll get there at some juncture. But yeah, so just like know that that's inspirational to me, watching you as a parent be able to set that up for him, like gives me hope that I can do the same thing with, with my boy too. And then confession. So can I say a thing? I want to say a thing. Okay. I don't want to interrupt you, but I just, I want to say, number one, I, I hear you and I see you. Um, and I also experienced, I've, I've experienced and battled depression, anxiety on and off for as many years as I've been a mom. Um, Mm. and so I, I feel that with you. Um, and also like one of the things that I say on this podcast all the time is that like, this is a space to tell guilt and shame to kick rocks. So like, Mm. um, I also like just want to, you know, validate your experience and to say like, also, we do the best we can, (laughs) like we do the best we can. And that, um, our goal is to just be gentle with ourselves so that we can continue to shepherd these kids and have them shepherd us in the moments where we can't figure it out. Like it's a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful gift. And so I just wanted to, I just wanted to insert that. Not that you need it from me, but no, um, I know, but I gladly receive it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it's like you said, you know, we do the best we have, best we can with what we have. And I know like for me personally, you know, I had heard about postpartum depression, but nobody really talked to me about what that was like embodied. And nobody told me that that was something that could continue for years after. So, you know, there was a point in time like where I came off of medication thinking, oh, like surely the postpartum period is over, you know, like it's so, so long after he's been here and then just like saw myself do like a deep dive and realize very quickly, like, eh, no, we're not, we're not done here yet. You know, let's, let's backtrack and refocus. And, um, it's been a, it's been a real eye opening experience and one that I feel like has helped me connect mainly like with other moms, which is comforting, like knowing that I'm not by myself, but also like even with parishioners, like I had, I had made a couple of posts about mental health online, um, back at a time when I was struggling or moving from a place of struggle to a place of like, um, addressing some things. And I had women that were like in their sixties calling me and talking to me about mental health and, you know, asking me questions. And I was like, you know, as, as, we are younger clergy and younger clergy women. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I think we're led to believe that we don't necessarily understand our parishioners who are older, that we don't have this like connection. But I feel like that was, you know, it was eye opening for me, like how many doors can be opened when we do choose to be open about communication, about things that are hard and not pretty and, you know, a struggle, I guess. Yeah, this is something I, if we can just take a minute on, like, this is something that I would love to talk to you more about, because I think it's really, really important. And Mm -hmm. I know for me, I mean, I was raised in the Methodist church, like, um, on those red carpets and potlucks and Mm -hmm. like have, you know, grew up in a really small town, um, and like started doing things like peer led Bible studies and stuff from like a really young age. So it was always wow. clear to me that um, I was going to, I was going to be called to this work, whatever it looked like. It was never specific, but it was just like, you know, quote unquote, the Lord's work. Right. Um, sure. And there, it has, re- has been this real reckoning with me to sort of figure out how to be vulnerable and open in a pastoral role Right. Right. But as you're, as you're mentioning, and I've seen that the very same fruits in, in my ministry as well, like this vulnerability and openness as a part of the pastoral call is, is so important. And Brene Brown talks about this and Nadia Bowles Weber talks about this. Like there, Mm -hmm. there are several, you know, badass women leaders who are offering this, but I still find myself struggling with it. Like I get sure. those vulnerability hangovers and that kind of thing. So I just wonder if, if, if you have any other thoughts on that. I think it, you know, kind of speaking to what we've already mentioned about um, just, you know, there, like you mentioned with your evangelical upbringing and then us also being women and, you know, being perceived a certain way and how we're supposed to act. You know, some people aren't even okay with us being pastors, you know, even in our own denomination. Um, And so there's, there's those expectations and judgments that we have to 
kind of balance on top of, you know, being younger and people assuming that we think a certain way about things or that we don't know anything about the Bible and like all of these other things. And so I think, you know, for me growing up, like just mental health was not something that was ever talked about. Like even, you know, I I would say even up until seminary just a few years ago, Mm -hmm. like I just wasn't something like I knew that people struggled with mental health, but I didn't know how all encompassing it could be until I struggled with, you know, postpartum depression and anxiety. And it took a while. And I think there's still days, like you mentioned too, where it feels like there's some hesitancy to be fully transparent about the struggles that you face. Because, and I know for me, a lot of the time it goes even from like how I'm perceived as a professional to also like, when you, when I stop and think about my life, the fact that I have a supportive family, a supportive spouse, I have a child, um, you know, we can, our needs are easily met, all these sorts of things. Like, who in the hell is going to be like sad? Like, how can you be sad? How can right. you, how can you struggle? How can you say that like you've got problems? And so that's really something that I think even still, you know, my therapist and I will work through from time to time, just like, you know, even though it's all about chemistry and, you know, it doesn't have anything necessarily to do with, you know, these things that we can see or the things that we think that we understand. Um, But really it's just, it's about your brain and how it's, you know, working or not working and, and figuring out how to be open about that. I feel like allows for a deeper, for some relationships, whether pastoral or familial or, you know, in your friendships to deepen. And I think that's important. And I think that's kind of a place where um, God creeps in and meets us in the midst of that vulnerability. And so I think that that's important. It's not always easy, especially because I don't know about you, but like I get self-conscious quite a bit about everything. Um, So about like, how I preached a sermon or even like sometimes like if my anxiety is really acting up, I'll be like overly conscious, like conscious about like what I'm wearing to church on a Sunday morning. Like, I'm just like, uh, just don't want to just don't look at me. Um, and so I think all those doubts and things totally play a part in me not living fully into who I am. And so having to combat those things among others, all because of anxiety and depression and the ways that they kind of ebb and flow in my Mm -hmm. life, you know, I think it's, it feels freeing to me sometimes when I'm not being self-conscious about how I feel or trying to, you know, police how I feel. Um, It's freeing to be able to say, this is who I am, like in the fullness of who I am, like these are my struggles today. These are, you know, my wins today. And sometimes I can't find the wins. Sometimes it just feels like it's all struggles. I don't know if you've ever felt like that and like how being able to talk about those things or not has affected ministry or life or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's important to say a thing here, which is that um, there is a degree to which our anxieties about what we're wearing or about how we show up in the pulpit as women or mm. about what embodied um, what the embodied gospel looks like as a woman are are founded because of the culture of I almost said patriarchal bullshit. I mean, that's like that. <laughs> <Well>. and, <laughs> and also like for me, I'll just speak from my own experience because of sexual harassment. Like mm. it is just to say the thing, if we're going to go there, let's right, go let's there. Go like there. our churches and the United Methodist Church is not the only church that deals with this, but our churches are often places of not are not safe places mm. often for uh, women and specifically for clergy women. I know for myself, I mean, just in the span of four years serving in a church, I was harassed by over four congregants. I've been harassed by a district superintendent. I've been harassed by a a fellow clergy person to the degree that it got reported. And you know what happened? Nothing, nothing. nothing. And so when when we enter into spaces of vulnerability, like making a report or Mm -hmm. like um, speaking our truth and are met with a closed 
closed door, a promotion for the person who uh, committed the harassment and or potential ramifications on our part that affect us, then that continues to create a culture and an environment in which women aren't safe, women Mm -hmm. and other persons aren't safe to to really be vulnerable, right? So Mm -hmm. I think that there's a there's a level at which it's important for us to be able to show up using the tools in our toolboxes to show up right. in the in the fullness of who we are in the fullness of the calling that has been placed on us by God Almighty herself yeah. and also like <laughs> I want to shake the the institution itself right because sure. it's it's constantly going to be an uphill battle and my hope is that that, you know, the culture can begin to shift. And I I think that that's true. And I pray toward that because I think that's the work of the kingdom. So I love that we've gone down this trail. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was like, this is not what she had had in mind for us to talk about. I love it. I love it so much. I love that we were in in a parenting fail segment or confession segment and got here. It's the beautiful, beautiful path of this podcast. So why don't you share a parenting confession with us? It's true confessions. I will often, especially in these days of the pandemic, hide in either the kitchen or the bathroom for a period of time to make it to bath time. Oh, so yes. that so that I can just have a few moments to myself. Because if I don't, I'm gonna have to go just sit outside somewhere <laughs> where no one can find me. I may come back, I may not. But that is like that's the big thing is that, you know, like sometimes Bo, my husband will poke at me and be like, were you hiding in there? And I'm like, no, no, of course not. My tummy just hurts. That's why I was in the bathroom for so long. No, I was in there on Instagram, right? flipping <laughs> through, seeing who's doing what and just like taking a minute to totally zone out of it. Cause it's like you said, it's the witching hour. It feels like it mm-hmm. just drags and drags and like, we'll never get there. So sometimes mama just has to excuse herself and go eat some like, Sun butter pretzels in the kitchen and Ooh. just pretend she doesn't exist. Sun butter is so good. It's so it good. is. It's a good alternative, isn't it? Yes. Peanut allergy mom. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, okay. So I have a confession too that's like in the realm of peanut allergy. And that's that like when I'm not with Riggs and I know I'm not going to be with Riggs for a minute, mm-hmm. I'm I'm consuming as much peanut butter as I possibly can. Like to the point that Absolutely. it will make me sick. <laughs> I no love peanut judgment. butter so yes. much. And I will yes. like, especially if I go on like um, a retreat away or like a work trip or something, I'm just like, give me all the peanut butter. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so glad I'm not alone on that. Yes. Whew. That is that is my confession that I will eat as much peanut butter as humanly possible. As you absolutely should. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's do parenting wins. I've, it's a pretty quick one. And it's just that we have decided as a family that when Greg goes back to work with his new job, um, he's going to have to be in person. So he's been working remotely, um, since we left Tennessee and he has to go back in person beginning on Monday. And we've decided as a family to put Riggins in daycare and it's a win. Okay. Yes. (laughs) It's a win. The daycare that we found is like, it's super hippie and crunchy and like very much me. And also awesome. like, it's been a year. It's been a right. year. And I will say this too. Like I said, I was going to be brief, but just quickly. So with Riggins, when he was born, um, he was born December 22nd. And I was at warmth and winter at the end of January. Stop it. Yeah. With him. Oh, oh <laughs> um, wow. And it was... It was very intense. We hit the ground running. I didn't get to spend a lot of postpartum time with him, which I think is is some of um, why I experienced so much depression on the other side of his birth. And I got to spend 12 weeks at home with Cash when he was born. So it was a very different Mm. experience. And he was being cared for, like we had a daycare in Tennessee and he was being cared for by other people. And so when we moved here, my relationship with Riggins grew tremendously, um, which has been a beautiful, beautiful gift. And it's been a year. (laughs) 
and 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 also it's been, and it's a, been year. a year and mama needs oh, a break gosh. so it is a yes. huge win and i am so so grateful like i say we celebrate our parenting wins however they come individually or consecutively or whatever we celebrate yes whatever we get when we get it so do you have one to share with us yes yours is so much more meaningful than mine um <laughs> our parenting win is that our kid through feeding therapy has learned about Welch's fruit snacks and he is now obsessed to the point that we can get him to do anything we want by feeding them to him. (laughs) Yeah. So that is our win for right now. Literally anything we need him to do, he will stop and do it if we tell him he gets a bag of fruit snacks. So we call that a win. That's a huge win. That is a huge win when you have those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, this has been a segment called Parenting Fails, Confessions, and Wins. And if you, as our listeners, have any parenting fails, confessions, or wins that you want to submit to the podcast, you can do so via voice memo. We would love to hear your voice or by typing it out to us on Instagram or on Twitter at AutoParent. And now it's time to do a little something different. This is our get real segment where each week we take the lectionary text and we get real. Our lectionary text this week comes from John chapter 15 verses one through eight. And here it is in the new revised standard version. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so let's just do some initial reactions uh, on this text. Uh, Mary-Kate, what you got? So when you informed me that this was going to be the the lectionary text that we were looking at, I don't know if you ever do this, but like when I am told to read something, I feel like I've read or heard a lot. I kind of assume that I know what I'm getting ready to look at or listen to. And then I went back and read it and I was like, oh no, this is (laughs) like, hold up. This is speaking directly to you, my dear. Um, (laughs) And like, it's interesting that, you know, we're talking about this on a parenting podcast, because for me, as I looked at it, it brought up a lot of thoughts um, about parenting itself and just about the calling of being a parent and, and how that plays into faith and how I feel like God, you know, calls us to partner with God in parenting our kids and we can't always think that we're right. Like there's so many things that I can think about. I know we'll get into some of that, but at first it was utterly it was just like oh my gosh like I needed to read this right now amen so I'm glad that it's the one that we that we landed on for today because it was when I needed to revisit what about you well truthfully my initial reaction was the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life oh no (laughs) I heard preached on this text (laughs) oh gosh and it was a 45 minute sermon I mean it was 45 minutes of like 45. I I kid you not. It was 45 minutes of like 10 different illustrations and a lot of like abiding in me, abiding in you. You know, I mean, you can get lost in the scripture fairly easily because the language is Mm -hmm. very rhythmic. And so it just instantly took me back to that moment where I was like, oh my God, sitting through this sermon. And I think I had to Benedict it, which I love that Benedict is like now a a verb. verb. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had to Benedict it. So I was like, oh my God, there's no way. Right. What am I going to say about this? Yeah. So that's, that's my um, initial reaction, but I would love to hear more about um, what, what you feel like is, is the primary function of of this text? Why is it included in John? Why Mm. is it so important? Right. Well, so we know from looking 
a couple of chapters before this, this is where Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper, as we so often hear it called. We've got the whole foot washing thing happening where Jesus is talking to them about being servants first, and that's how Mm -hmm. they are supposed to, to lead their lives of faithfulness is by offering this servant love to people they come into contact with, no matter who they are, where they are. It's just that that is the crux of what it means to live out the love of God. And so, um, you know, Jesus is giving them some instructions about, you know, what discipleship is going to look like when he's no longer there to be like, okay, come here, come there, do this, do that, think this way. Um, And so here, I just really appreciate that he's taking the time to explain to them something that I think, Sometimes people who consider themselves faithful today sometimes take for granted. So, you know, obviously we believe in Christ and we follow Christ and we think that what we do and what we say comes from our love of Christ. Um, but ultimately we're human. And so right. there's there's a lot of room to to fall away from whatever it is that Christ wants us to do and be in the world. And so to to read this again and to see it in the context of those last sacred holy moments of him together with his disciples reminding them listen like apart from me yeah you can do some stuff but it's not going to be anything that's going to lead to fruitfulness it's not going to be anything that leads to meaning it's not going to be anything that helps heal and helps you know offer people the new life that you've been offered. And so you've got to remain in me and really discern, you know, which parts of yourselves are aligned with who I am and who I've showed you how to be and who I've called you to be and which parts of you really just need to be cut away so that even more fruitfulness can come from these other places that are aligned, you know, with, with the parts of you that remain in me. So just that reminder, I think that like, we're not freaking invincible, you know, like I think humans often think, you know, well, we've got the answers. We know, them. like we, we know what we're doing. And just to hear, to hear Christ tell us, okay, you can, you can think that. And like, you obviously have agency and you can think for yourself, I've gifted you with common sense, but also like you have to be in relationship with me for, for, you know, meaning and purpose and fruitfulness to come from your life is kind of where my mind went about it. Yeah, I think that I think that's so important. So so important. And also too, you know, one of the things that as I was looking through this, I continue to be drawn to is this word abide and what it looks like and how how mm. it sort of feels in the gospel in light of what we know about how this gospel introduces Jesus to us right. um, and what the Christ figure means. I mean, very beginning of John is here is logos. It has Mm -hmm. been there since the beginning. It will be there until the end. And so this word abide, actually, there's this beautiful sort of meaning is, and it's just to stay in a given expectancy, Mm. which is like a whole word based on what you're saying, right? right? To understand that it's, it's not necessarily that we have the word (laughs) all Mm -hmm. the time. It's not necessarily that we can know that we know that we know or can dig our heels in harder on Mm -hmm. um, some kind of fundamental proof text that backs up what we think we know to be true. (laughs) Yes. But that we are, we can remain in the given expectancy that Logos has gone before us will go through us and will continue into the realm of the kingdom of God. And it's this, it's this beautiful understanding that like the expectancy is fruit, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes. And as someone going through the the process and, and, mm-hmm. you know, this is actually my fruitfulness project that we're doing <gasps> right yes. now. Awesome. There's a lot of thinking about what fruit actually looks like mm. and how how fruit comes to fruition. Um, yeah. And it just, it, it reminds me, right, though, that when we enter into relationship mm. and when we are continuing 
continuing to offer ourselves as part of the vine, that the expectation is that we will bear fruit. And it's a place of hope and it's a place of renewal and it's a place that we can continue to dive back into to sort of rebathe ourselves in those baptismal waters over and over and over again. And yeah, I just, I love everything you're saying. Do you want to say more about that? So I love your explanation of abide. I had not really heard that explanation of it before. And just, you know, and honestly, that's so funny because like, as I was reading this, I didn't pay that much attention to the word abide, but I see in my translation, the the common English Bible, it's talking about that whole remaining in you thing mm-hmm. as, as opposed to abide. And so I really like that. Did you say it was the NRSV that you used? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that they use um, that word abide and just to hear kind of the weight of that in the midst of, of this text. And just, you know, I think hearing you talk about the word abide in light of who God is and who God has revealed God's self to us through Christ, that that abiding is just the essence of who Christ is. You know, no yes. matter what we do, no matter where we go, no matter how many times we screw it up, because we will do so, you know so many times throughout our existence, um, the fact that God abides with us still and chooses to do so. You know, it's not like by chance. It's it's part of who God is, that relationship, you know, piece that you talked about that's so, I mean, it's foundational to how, who we understand God to be, right? God in, in relationship, God, Christ, Holy Spirit, and that we're then called to be in relationship with God and with one another. And you said, you said something about... Um, in our relationships, sometimes, you know, when we're trying to talk about what we believe and like digging our heels in, that's also what I thought about when I read this too. I was like, you know, so it's so easy for us, I think sometimes just to think in our heads, like we've got it right. Like we know the answer and, and that in and of itself, okay, maybe you do have it right. But (laughs) if you're not, if you're not speaking about these things that you believe to be true, like you were kind of saying, Casey, from this place of being, you know, in the vine with Christ, you're not, fruit is not coming from that. Like it yeah. doesn't matter if you're trying to redirect or reframe or whatever you're doing, if you're not doing it from a place of, um, from that place of abiding, that abiding love that we're offered in Christ. If we're not doing that, then we're not, we're not making any change. We're not, you know, we're not helping anyone, you know, ourselves included by just trying to stay the stay the course of whatever we think is best. And so that's kind of what came to mind for me, I think. Yeah, it seems almost that it's often the people who um and I'm I'm one of these people sometimes too <laughs> that think that they aren't going to be pruned, right? Like everybody else mm. is going to be pruned. <laughs> sure, yes. And I think like, that's so important to like note that yes, we are in that role yeah. often too. Like because I totally agree, same here. Yeah. So when I've heard this sermon preached most often, it's all about the pruning process. Like it's all about what needs to fall away. And I think that's a really, really important piece of the scripture, but it's, it reminds me of provenient grace. It's something that Mm. we want to claim for ourselves. Like give me time to prune away what I need to prune away. Give, give me a moment to accept that Jesus's grace has gone before. But when you ask me to claim provenient grace for someone else, or you ask me like, Mm -hmm. it's often not something that we come to fairly easily. Right. And so I think the, the, the pruning process is important here in this scripture. I also think that there's something quite beautiful about coming sort of unassuming to the vine and knowing that this vine is coming out of earthly created good, out Mm. of like cosmic goodness (laughs) and coming to the vine and expecting life and being given life abundant. Right. And recognizing too, that in order for us to have life abundant, there are some things that will need to fall away, but that we have grace as a tool, that we have the ability for ourselves to to look inward and to be, mm-hmm. you know, faithfully sharpened without guilt and shame. And that we're all on this vine together. I mean, you were mentioning right. that aspect of community. And I think it's so, so important. Just reminds me that we are closer to grace. We are closer to life. We are closer to love when we are together. And that's another beautiful part of this of this passage Absolutely. as well. So what do you think this text could have to say to parents? You know, 
at first, when I was thinking about this question, I thought a lot about um, kind of the pruning piece, like which we've mentioned, Um, just kind of, you know, there are things that need to be done away with in order to be a better, you know, more present, more caring, like whatever more of you need um, in order to do that. But now that like, I've heard you talk about the abide piece and, and, you know, showing up to the vine, just expecting that the vine will offer what it naturally is. So just showing up and knowing that you don't have to, it's not something that you have to manufacture, you know, like I think at least for me, I'm a fixer and I like to manipulate things. I like to make them be whatever I want them to be as much as I can. Cause I'm a control freak like that. It's not healthy. I'm working through it with my therapist. We'll get there one day. Um, <laughs> You're for a therapist, therapist and Jesus too, is what I was. Yes, thinking. absolutely. A great combo. I highly recommend. Um, but yeah, like this idea that I don't have to be something in particular. I don't have to, I don't have to do anything but show up that grace piece, you know, like that's so, that's so paramount to what we believe it's, you know, it's, it's part of our very essence. And so to, to move away from, I think, thinking about what needs to be pruned, what needs to be cut away and more thinking about, okay, what might I receive if I just show up? And, you know, choose to, to sit in the presence of the divine, you know, like what, what am I going to receive by just showing up, kind of going back to that vulnerability piece we mentioned earlier, you know, really opening myself in, you know, this, this space with God, whatever that is, you know, quiet time spent alone and just see what it is God wants me to hear. Cause so often I think I feel like, like, I know, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know what I need to change. I know um, all of these things that need to happen differently. I, I'm an Enneagram one. Um, so same, 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 same. Yes. Oh, good. Oh, good. That makes me feel like we, we get each other even more than I thought we already did. Um, and so I constantly have that inner critique that's going on in my head. And so I'm constantly beating myself up about things. And so looking at this text as an Enneagram one, I do tend to focus on the things that you cut away to make yourself better or make yourself more like ideal or whatnot. But then to have it kind of reframed or just not even reframed, but just like focus on a different aspect of it. Like you were able to help me see that abide piece and being willing to um, depend on God. You know, we know that's what we're supposed to do. Um, but for some of us, it's a harder, it's a harder task to, to, just trust that God is there and that we, you know, are loved as we are and that God has things to show us if we'll just shut up and show up, you know, like, um, so that, that's really helpful to me. And I'm so glad. And this is one of the things that's so special about talking through scriptural text with another person, because you talk about like the contextual piece, like what is happening in the story and the gospel here that we're looking at, like when this is said, and then what does it say to the people who are receiving it firsthand? And then what does it say to us now? And the truth is, it has so many different things. You know, it's like you said, there is truth behind we need to prune and, you know, cut away things that are not helpful to bringing the kingdom even more to light and to fruition, um, to living out our fruitfulness, but with the gifts that we've been given by God. And then also there's a word and just abiding, like you said, like just showing up and abiding in the love of Christ. Like what could happen if we all committed to taking like five minutes a day of just sitting with God, whatever that right. looks like, figuring out how to turn your brain off and just be there. Like what might God reveal to us? How might like our individual lives, our families' lives, our communities' lives, how might all that change for the better if we were able to take that time? Something yeah. I think about sometimes. Yeah, that's really important. That's really, really important. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes the pruning and and that five minutes can be about our self-critique. I know for me, like, mm. that's what I spend a lot of time thinking about, right? Like, nobody sure. kicks my own ass harder than me. And right. I, I then I kick my own ass about kicking my own ass. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's an that's endless it. cycle. And mm-hmm. so some of what may need to be pruned off is, is sort of that um, ruminating thought. And also, right. I mean you know, we've already said it once, but like guilt and shame can just kick rocks. Like they really can. And, um, 
yeah, I just, I think there's, there's another image that's popping in my mind too, about, um, things that have possibly been pruned or have, have broken off. There's this practice in gardening, which listen, I am by no means a gardener. I have, I have never had a garden. I do not keep green things alive. Like I barely keep the human things alive. So like, don't give me anything green, but Mm -hmm. there's this process called grafting, I think is what it's called, where you, you trim off a certain piece of the main, um, like root, you trim off a, a little piece of it and you, you place like something that's been pruned off or something that you want to give some life to and you graft it back into the vine and you um, secure it in a way that it can remain connected to the root so that it can be given new life. And as you were talking, it's just this beautiful, like even like (laughs) there's life on the other side of pruning, like there's life Mm -hmm. on the other side of of perceived death or perceived like falling by the wayside. Like we are never too far away from Mm -hmm. the root, from life, from God's grace and embrace that we can't be grafted back into um, the vine. And I think for parents, that's just a really important thing to remember that especially during this moment in the Mm -hmm. midst of a pandemic that has hit parents harder than most um, where we find ourselves wondering like how we're going to get through a day full of all the things that we have to do, um, right. that feeling guilty about not showing up for worship or feeling guilty about not being able to participate in Bible studies or not being able to find our five minutes in the day, right. um, that we still have access to the vine, that the vine mm-hmm. still abides in us, right? Like as you were right. saying that earlier, I was thinking, right, that's the point is that we spend all this time thinking about the the pruning aspect and making sure that we're abiding in, in Christ, which is so, so important. And yet sometimes we neglect the fact that like, you know, just to get a little Gnostic for a second, that like we mm-hmm. have Christ in us, we have divinity yes. in us in a beautiful way that Absolutely. we can breathe spirit and peace into our homes um, and in ways that like, only we are going to be able to do. <laughs> and it's right. just like a really uplifting thing to think about. And it's just a gift that I think this conversation is giving me. So for that, I'm super, super grateful. Me too. I think this has been a really helpful conversation all the way around. Just again, just the being able to converse with someone or even just a small group of people about the text and think about you know, the ways that it's still speaking life today. Yeah. Well, I'm super grateful that you were able to do this with us. Super, super grateful. Oh, thank you for having me. It was awesome. Well, do you want to tell people how they can uh, get in contact with you or find you if they are um, wanting to do so? Yeah, absolutely. So if you guys want to find me, Facebook is probably the place where I post most of like my writing and reflections, uh, sermons, things like that. I'm at Mary Kate Myers and there's a dash between Mary and Kate, not in real life, but only because Facebook won't allow me to put a space between Mary and Kate. So (laughs) Mary dash Kate Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. Find me there and we can hook up other ways too. Sounds good. I also just want to, again, plug her Facebook because everything that she's saying about writings and her sermons, they're brilliant, y'all. And I know that you already know that after having heard um, her reflections on the text. So I definitely encourage you to check that out. Very kind. Thank you, ma'am. Of course. Every week we'll have a parent mantra, something that you can say to yourself or to your partner so that you can be reminded you're not alone. The Auto Parent Podcast family and the Foundry Family Ministries are with you on this journey. Your mantra for this week is Christ lives in me. Christ abides in me. Because friends, if we don't believe that, it's going to be really hard to convince our kids. I've been your host, Pastor KC. You can follow me on Twitter at RevKCVC. And remember to be gentle with yourselves. You don't have to be an auto parent to be a good one. Join us next week, same time, same place. find out more information about Foundry United Methodist Church by visiting our website, 
www.foundryumc.org. If you're specifically looking for information about our Family Ministries Department or our offerings for parents, you can find those at www.foundryumc.org slash family ministries. Thank you.